0: Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Parables. Jesus oftentimes used these short stories to teach people. Sometimes the parable opened people's eyes to the profound truth of God. Other times the parable was symbolic and challenged people to go deeper in their faith. But with every parable, Jesus wanted people to live out the reality of what they learned. This summer, we'll be studying some of the parables that Jesus used so we can discover and live out their truths in our lives. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. we love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website, www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here. We're going to release the kids ages four through grade five to go down to their class uh, right now. So if you're, you have kids that you would like to do that, you can send them down to our children's ministry area. We're in this middle of the series on the parables of Jesus. So we're, we're glad that you're here because Jesus taught in these stories and, and he took simple things about life and he would bring them and teach us deep truths about God. And so as we look at this parable today, would you just bow your heads for a prayer? Father, we thank you that you love us. That uh, there's nothing that you will not do to tell us that you love us and to bring us to you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us the depths of our hearts today, that we would hear from you and that we would sense your power and your might. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever lost something valuable? Yeah. Yeah, You know, maybe it's your car keys or a credit card or a piece of jewelry. And, uh, you know, when you lose something like that, you know, you probably do one of two things. You you mentally retrace all your steps, trying to think, where did I use it last? Where did I see it last? Or maybe even physically go through the motions of of walking through or going to every place that you found it. And, you know, my experience is, is the longer you have to search, the longer you go without that thing that's so valuable to you, so meaning to you, that when you finally find it, you're so excited you have to tell somebody. You, know, you, you call a friend or you, you tell somebody in your family, and you're just excited because you, you finally found it. It's, it's something that it's all universal to us. Jesus one time overheard some of the religious leaders um, muttering. About how he liked to hang out with sinful people. And uh, as he listened to them, he even heard them talk about how, you know, Jesus welcomed those people into his life and into relationship with him. And in response, Jesus told a parable, a story about things that are lost. So, There's the first thing that I want you to understand about what we're going to look at. And it's this, that, that God is looking for his lost children. God is looking for his lost children. Now, Jesus tells, actually, in this parable, there's actually three different stories. And and the first story is about a lost sheep. And the second story is about a lost coin. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from each of those little individual stories. And the first one, he starts off this way. And and he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Don't you leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until you find it? And then he says this. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? You see, Jesus knew that people would identify with these stories about lost things. And he told one about a shepherd. So he knew that the men would understand the role of a shepherd and the value of a lost sheep. You know, a sheep one sheep was very valuable to a shepherd because it would mean lost income if, uh, uh, if a predator got it and killed it from the wool or even from the meat or from the ability to, to birth more uh, babies. And so it was something critical. And, and it's you know, just amazing when you read that story. It says that uh, doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country? That's that's amazing to go and find the lost one. But that's how valuable it is. And then, you know, the the women clearly uh, got the idea here, you know, when they understood this idea that, you know, suppose a woman has 10 coins and she loses one. uh, Won't she basically turn the house upside down to find that last coin? Uh, You know, think this through. To to get inside the the hearer's mind in first century Israel, you, you need to understand that, this was a very uh, impoverished society. The, the overwhelming uh, majority of the people just were able to make it uh, day to day. And so if you had 10 silver coins, uh, that was significant. And if you lost one, that would be one-tenth of what you had to to maintain uh, your life for the following week. And, and so that was a huge loss, and it would and make people experience panic and fear because of what they were losing in either of those stories. You know, the reality is this. When, when we lose things that are value, valuable to us, uh, we're filled with concern in our hearts. And honestly, our, our minds can be consumed by finding what we've lost. Jesus is drawing a parallel in these stories that God is the same way. When God loses something, God also does an all-out search. But God isn't looking for uh, lost things. God's looking for lost people. For God, when people that He knit together in their mother's wombs don't believe in Him, then they're lost to Him, and He wants to find them. You know, Jesus used the word lost to describe people who were not following in him. And to God the Father, that state of being spiritually lost was a big deal to him. God wants us all to know him through faith in Jesus. And he wants everyone to be found so that none may be lost and eternally separated from him. So God is looking for his lost children. But this is what we also need to know about God. God rejoices when his lost children are found. You know, in those first two stories of this parable, Jesus talks about the things that are lost and he talks about what happens when they're found. When the shepherd finds his lost sheep, what does he do? Well, Jesus says, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then... Jesus gives us God's perspective. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than, one, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Going to the next story, Jesus says, uh, When this woman finds her lost coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. And then he goes again and he gives us God's perspective. And he says, In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The shepherd and the woman are both happy, so they rejoice in fact, they are so happy, they tell their friends and they ask them to celebrate with them. I think we can identify with that. When you lose something that's really important to you, really valuable to you, like a precious piece of jewelry, uh, you look everywhere for it. You, you tear the house upside down and when you find it, uh, you've got to tell somebody. Uh, you know, it happened to me this week. It wasn't a piece of jewelry. It wasn't a credit card. But it was an email. Somebody sent me an email. Somebody was in need. I opened it on my phone. I didn't finish uh, dealing with it on my phone. I closed it up, and then when I uh, went back, it was nowhere to be found. Uh, I went through every email folder I, I had, and, and I couldn't find it. And um, and so, you know, I, I just I don't know what I'm going to do. I actually it got it got in my head so much. I thought, did I really get that email? Uh, did, I, did I dream that, that I had that email? Because it was gone. It was vanished. You know, and I told Cynthia, and she prayed for me. And, and uh, you know, uh, the next day I opened up my laptop, and it was in the draft folder. It's like, how did that happen? Because I never started a response. But that's where it was. But I then told her, because I found something that was lost, that was meaningful to me. It's, it's what we do. But, but look what Jesus tells us. He says that God does the same thing when a lost person is found. God tells the angels in heaven and all of heaven celebrates when a person who is spiritually lost comes to faith in Jesus and is spiritually found. He says, all of the inhabitants of heaven rejoice You know, a lost person is one who has not repented, not admitted that he or she is a sinner and needs a Savior. A lost person is spiritually lost because they're not saved by faith in Jesus because they've not believed in him and not trusted him to be their Savior and their Lord. So when a lost person is found, that means that they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, that now they can know God because their sins no longer separate them from God. And so when a person comes to faith, the reason that heaven rejoices is because the population of heaven has just increased by one and the population of hell has just decreased by one. It's reason for heaven to celebrate. You know, Jesus was directing uh, these words, not just to the people who would identify with the lost coin and the lost sheep, but he was also directing it to the religious leaders who had been criticizing him for hanging out with spiritually lost people. All right. While Jesus was reaching people who needed to be saved, the very people who were criticizing him were also people who needed to understand that they were sinners and they needed to repent and accept Jesus as their Savior. So, then and now, Jesus was and is addressing those who have yet to repent of their sins and believing in Jesus. So, God rejoices when His lost children are found. Here's the third thing I want us to see. God is eagerly waiting to welcome his lost children back home. You know uh, over the centuries the story of that I'm going to tell you next has been known as the prodigal son which is an accurate descriptor for the story because the son in question takes all of his income all of his money and he freelessly wastes it and that reaches the very definition of the word prodigal. But In keeping with the other two stories in this parable, I think the story should be called The Lost Son, because that's what really is going on here. Let me read the story. I'm going to read the whole story to you. There'll be some verses that'll be on the screen that I really want you to see, but here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come back,' he replied, the servant replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf "'because he has, has him back safe and sound.' "'The older brother became angry and refused to go in, "'so his father went out and pleaded with him, "'but he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I have been slaving for you "'and never disobeyed your orders. "'You never gave me even a young goat "'so I could celebrate with my friends.' But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father said, my son, you have always been with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. To the hearers of this story in first century Israel, what the younger son did was scandalous. When he went in and asked his father for his inheritance, before his father had passed away, what he was saying was, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. Uh, The people hearing that would have been shocked. They would have 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 understood what was going on and how awful what the son was doing to his father was. The son must have been bitter and angry to give that message to his father. You know, you think about it, you know, it's one thing uh, to say, hey, I want to go out on my own. I want to do my own thing, but it's a totally different thing to say, I wish you were dead. I'm leaving the family. Basically, he was lost to his father and to his family. So the younger son goes off to a distant country, reinforcing the idea that he was lost to his father. He was far, far away. And while he was there, he lived like he wanted to. He did what he wanted to do, whatever pleased him. As Jesus said, he squandered his wealth in wild living. And we can all fill in the blanks what wild living would look like. But eventually, he runs out of money, and he finds himself not even able to feed himself. And so he goes out, and he gets a job, a job feeding pigs. Now, again, this is a shocking uh, reality. This message is being told to a Jewish audience. And so immediately what they discover is that this young man is not in Israel anymore because there's a pig farmer and people in Israel don't keep pigs because in Judaism there are clean food and there is uh, unclean food. You don't have anything to do with unclean food. You don't touch it. You don't raise that kind of animal and definitely you don't eat it. And so the very fact that he's at a pig farmer's farm is scandalous. And then the very fact that he's even willing to eat what the pigs are eating makes it even more shocking to the people. Then Jesus tells us that this younger son comes to his senses because he realizes, wow, you know, back on the farm, dad's hired staff, his, his hired servants have food enough to eat, and then some. He, he takes care of them You know, I should just go back and ask to be hired on because there's no way dad's going to let me come back into the family. And so that's what he does. He he decides to go back and he decides to apologize, to repent of his behavior to God and to his dad and to ask for a job. Now, remember, this is a shocking story. So far we've heard of two shocks, but as Jesus is is telling this story, the next thing that happens is shocking because we learn that the father— has been waiting for the day that his son would be coming home. That every day he scans the horizon looking to see if his son who is lost might return. And so this day he's scanning the horizon so he sees him when he's a long way off and it says that the dad runs after his son to meet him and hug him and kiss him. That doesn't sound too scandalous to you and I but again, was to a first century Jewish hearing because you know, in those days, men and women wore long tunics, all right? You can't really run in a tunic. And so to run well, you would have to hike it up and to do that would be very rude and improper. But this dad didn't care. He didn't care if it looked rude and improper because his son who was lost is now found. And all he wants to do is lavish him with his love. And then what he does next, again, is incredulous. Because remember, basically what he said to his dad when he asked for inheritance was, I wish you were dead but he welcomes him in. He puts the family robe on him, the best robe. He puts the family ring on his finger. He gives him sandals, which only uh, families that were well-to-do would have. And he says, we're going to kill the calf we've been waiting to use for a big party in the future. We're going to kill it now. Why? Because my son who was dead is alive. My son who was lost is found. That's how much God loves us. Remember what I told you, what Jesus said, that there would be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, that the rejoicing would be in the presence of the angels over the sinner who repents and comes home. But that's not the end of the parable. When the older brother found out what was going on, he was angry. He refused to have anything to do with welcoming his younger brother back into his family. He was angry because he said, listen, dad, I've been slaving. That's the words he used. I've been slaving for you all these years. But the grace giving father says this to his angry older son Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because your brother, my son, was lost, but now he's found. Three stories about things that are lost. What's the purpose of this parable that Jesus tells us? This purpose is for us to see the heart of God, that that he wants people who are far off to come back to him. He wants people who are spiritually lost, people who don't admit that they are sinners to come home. He wants people who... Need to say to God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. I repent of my sinfulness. I ask for forgiveness and now I want to come home. I want to move from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found. I want to be a part of your family. Stories are powerful. They help us see something like this about how much God loves us, about what he's willing to do whatever it takes to help all of us come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me share with you a more modern story. It's my favorite story about lost things. Uh, if you remember back in the 1990s, those of you who are alive, the United States, along with, other, with 11 other NATO member nations, began to enforce a no-fly zone over Bosnia and Herzegovina in Central Europe. They were doing that because there was an armed conflict and people were killing each other, and if they would shut down the airways, at least they wouldn't be able to bomb one another. On June 2nd of 1995, United States Air Force pilot Captain Scott O'Grady was flying his F-16 on a no-fly zone mission when a surface-to-air missile ripped into his plane he writes as his f as my f15 came apart i reached for the injection lever i pulled it and i exploded through the disintegrating cockpit into the skies 26000 feet above the bosnian forest He says, after punching out of the plane, I opened my chute manually because I wanted it to open as quickly as I could and get down to the ground because it was an afternoon where visibility was very good below. And as my parachute was taking me down to the earth, I could see everybody on the ground could see me and I was falling into enemy territory. The trajectory of his Shoot took him over a main highway, and as he fell, crowds of Serbian soldiers and civilians watched his progress. He recalled, as he was floating down, thinking, they were just sitting there waiting for me to hit the ground. He said, I landed in a grassy clearing and I wasted no time getting rid of my parachute and I dashed into a small clump of bushes and I hid my face in the dirt and I covered my ears with my green gloves so no one could see any bare skin and I couldn't be seen. Soldiers were there within four minutes, but they couldn't find him. In fact, for six days, O'Grady hid himself in the Bosnian forest using his survival kit to soak up water so he could have something to drink, eating ants and whatever wild berries he could find. All while this was going on, the United States military was planning an all-out search and rescue satellites and planes were being put into place and they were searching constantly for O'Grady. They didn't know if he was dead or alive. They didn't know if he had gone down with the plane or ejected because the other plane that he was flying with had not seen his chute come open. They began to look for his radio beacon that he would use as rescue beacon, but, but O'Grady used it very sparingly because he realized it was an open line and he knew that the enemy could find him just as well as the American forces finally on june 8 he was able to make contact with another pilot and they were able to know where his place was in bosnia and so at 5:30 the next morning the american military put their satellites in place, and zoomed in on that location. They readied airplanes for backup and surveillance and protection for four helicopters that would go in. They sent those helicopters in early in the morning, flying under the cover of the morning fog. They went and landed where O'Grady had sent his signal, and he came out of the woods and popped a flare, so they saw where he was. The soldiers hopped out of the helicopters, and they formed a perimeter of safety around them, and they brought O'Grady into that helicopter. That all-out search and rescue saved his life, and no one was lost. It was a powerful story of a search and rescue. And it's amazing what you think of what was done to rescue one soldier. I read in Time Magazine, the cost of that all-out search and rescue mission was astronomical. Two LaCrosse satellites were put into position, each one costing $1 billion each. Two Sea Stallion helicopters worth $26 million were used. Two Cobra helicopters worth $12 million each were used. Four Sea Harrier jets worth $24 million each were used. Several F-18 fighter bombers worth $30 million each were used. F-16 jets, F-15 jets, EF-11 jets, all totaling worth $60 million were used. Several AWACS planes worth $250 million each were used. All in all, 40 aircraft and over 200 men and women were deployed just that morning to do whatever it took to bring Scott O'Grady home. If you're doing the math, that's over $6 billion to save One person. One person. But that pales in comparison to what God has done in his all-out search and rescue mission to bring his lost sons and daughters home. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, from heaven to earth to give up the glory of heaven, to become a human being and live like one of us. And on this earth, he wasn't worshiped and honored He was beaten and accused and crucified. And Jesus gave up everything to rescue us. He gave up everything to rescue us from sin and death. And in his all-powerful nature, though, Jesus didn't stay dead after he was crucified on the cross for us. God raised him from the dead And he calls those who have been found in Christ to be part of his plan to help more lost people be rescued and saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, we have a God who loves us so much that he went on an all-out search and rescue mission for us. It cost him everything. He sent his son Jesus into the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Scripture tells us that God would leave the 99 who are found to rescue the one who is lost. He'll do whatever it takes, turning the house upside down to find the one who is lost. He is on the lookout, scanning the horizon, hoping that the one who is lost will return back home. Now, if you're the one that is lost, I want you to know, that you can come home to Jesus today through faith in Him. He wants you to come to faith in Him. And when you come to faith in Him, He wants you to be part of His mission, part of His team that will go out and do whatever it takes to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. He wants us to be His ambassadors of His message to the world. He wants us to build spiritual bridges to help people connect and cross over to God. He wants us to help people go from being lost to found. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a little vision uh, onto the inside mission of us as a church. Uh, Our vision is to do whatever we can to reach people for Jesus Christ, to help people who don't know him to come to faith with him, to help people that are spiritually lost to be found in Christ. And we ask everybody to be a part of that team. You see, it's not just something I do. It's not just something our staff does. It's not just something our leaders do. It's something that every follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to be on that search and rescue team, not just in this church, but in every church, because God wants us to do whatever it takes to find lost people, just like he did whatever it takes to find you. So we ask people in this church to pray for lost people to come to faith. We ask them to invite them into their homes and into their lives and to love them like God loves them. And, and when God provides the right timing to share with those folks how much Jesus means to them so that they can know about Jesus and come to faith in Him. And unashamedly, we ask you to invite people to, to come to events with you, to join you on Sunday morning for worship, uh, to uh, bring your kids or your grandkids or their friends to Bible camp or to sports camp or, or to our midweek programs for students and youth, to invite men to join us for the men's event and women for the women's events, and invite people to join us in life groups. Why? So that they can understand how much God loves them and they can understand what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ and move from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found. Folks, don't let this fact escape you, okay? Studies by sociologists who study Christianity say the overwhelming majority of people who come to faith in Jesus Christ do not come from a program, do not come from a song, do not come even from a sermon. They come because somebody cared enough to invite them to a place where they could hear about Jesus. They come because somebody cared enough to invite them one-on-one and share with them about what Jesus means to them. Those same sociologists will tell you that over 75% of the people who are saved, who moved from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found, came because somebody invited them to a place, to something, where they heard the message of Jesus Christ, and they came to faith. So God asks us, and we reiterate that ask, will you be a part of God's search and rescue team to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all people? Uh, You know, if you're not connecting with and hanging out with people who don't know Jesus, you need to look at that. We need to take that seriously. To to, to borrow a line from the Blues Brothers, and, and they borrowed it from God's word, we're on a mission from God to help people move from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I unashamedly implore you, exhort you, ask you to be aware that you're part of God's plan to reach the world for Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to be completely transparent with you. There's nothing special about the words, I pray but what is special is when you tell Jesus that you want to believe in him and follow him and that's what it takes so I'm going to close this message with a prayer first a prayer for those who want to tell Jesus they want to follow him and second I'm going to pray close with a prayer for all of us that we would realize that we're on God's team his mission team to reach the world for Jesus so I'm going to invite everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads So if you've never told Jesus that you believe in him and you want to tell him today, this is what I want you to do. Very simply, tell him this. Jesus, I believe in you. Go ahead and tell him that. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Go ahead and tell him that. Now, Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, everybody's eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, just would you raise your hand? Raise your hand high so I can see it. All right, thank you, thank you. Now for all of us who have been found in faith in Jesus, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we will understand that just like you use somebody to help us move from being spiritually lost to being spiritually found, that each one of us has that calling on our lives to do to be a witness for you, to invite people to a place where they can hear it, to invite them into our lives where we can share about how much you mean to us and to invite people to trust you as Lord and Savior. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us all be so conscious and aware and respond to that truth in our lives that we can be part of helping people go from being lost to being found. We pray this in Jesus' name.